Father, thank you for the love that you have within community. Thank you that you love us and thank you that we're able to love on others. And God, I ask that you would continue to bless your church worldwide. I also ask a little extra blessing on 176 Sandbank Road. May we continue to be lights and salt. May we season the world with the love of God. And now as the word, uh, I pray that the word of, words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get to lights. Got a little video for you. There's that line that he uses. He says, I feel like I'm fighting for a life that I no longer have time to live. He says, I want my life to mean something. I bet we've all been there. We have this desire to have a life, to have meaning and purpose. And sometimes it does seem like a bit of a fight, doesn't it? To, to live meaningfully, to live with purpose, to make life a life and not just an existence. And I think as the older we get, the more we become aware of this desire in us to, to live meaningfully, to even, even if it's to, to leave a little bit of ourselves behind, that that maybe that we could bring some grace and love and mercy into the world. That we could uh, make a difference, even if it's a small difference, somewhere in someone or people's lives. And, and I think as we get older, we begin to kind of, you, you know, as your days kind of run out and you get near the end and, and you think, am I? Do I? What does it mean? I think we all have this desire to have meaning. And, and I wonder how many people, if you did a survey, if you asked them, have you found your meaning in life? I wonder how many people would answer yes. That they found it, that they've gotten there, that they've, they've arrived. And so I, I was just kind of wrestling with that and thinking through that a little bit. And I wonder, I, I was wondering if, our continual search for meaning is what can bring meaning to our lives. Does that make sense? Like, is the search for meaning what causes us to live in meaningful ways? Is the search for meaning what causes us to look beyond ourselves, to look at other people, to, to not be selfishly focused on me and I, but to look beyond that? And look at them. Or maybe to consider it us. All of us together. And then I thought, well, maybe that sounds a little selfish. Like, I want my life to mean something. And so I'm going, I, I, it's, it's, it feels like a, a conundrum that you're in, that I'm in. But here's what I kind of understand a little bit is that we all have this draw in us to understand our place. To understand why 
We're here. What are we here for? What is our life? What is God calling us to do? Now, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he is on this spiritual quest. He's trying to answer those questions for himself. He's trying to figure out what makes life meaningful. What are the things in life that he could kind of latch on to, hold on to, that bring meaning? He wants to know what matters. He wants to figure it out. Now, he doesn't have all the answers, and we could see this as we've journeyed through for many months through this, through this letter, this book that he's written. But he keeps asking, and he keeps pressing in. He knows that there's, there's something missing. And yet, if you've been paying attention to, to the book, the teacher of Ecclesiastes has this underlying passion to know how to live correctly, to know how to live right. And that's where we find ourselves in, in the middle of chapter 7. He gets to this point where he's writing about how he admires this thing called wisdom. And, and he says all these very positive things about wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is considered wisdom literature. And so anything that's been written in that, in that genre looks at wisdom as something precious, something worthwhile having. Now, the scripture is full of references about the value of wisdom. Job, chapter 20, it's pricier than pearls. Proverbs 8, it's better than jewels. In Proverbs 16, it says, how much more valuable is wisdom than having gold? And then, just in verse 12, last week, when we looked at in chapter 7, he tells us that wisdom is a lifesaver. And then he gets to... Verse 19, and he says this. Wisdom makes, one person, wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. So the picture he's kind of painting here for us is there is a certain city. And this city has a town council, maybe, a city council that kind of oversees and rules the city. Now, the scripture tells us in Proverbs 15 that the council of many advisors is, is a good thing. It's actually wise to have a council of many advisors. So the picture he's painting here is this, it seems to maybe be a healthy city, a good city, because it has a council of people leading it and guiding it. And what he says is one person with wisdom, is better than a well-governed city. You see, when we step into and press into living in what the scripture unpacks for us is wisdom, it manages, wisdom can manage our thought process. It can allow us to be God-centered in the way that we think. Wisdom influences our will, so that we can begin to make good judgments in the way that we live. Because how we live, what? Really? How we live matters. The choices we make matter. I want, I've been preaching this for like 15 weeks now, so we're going we're gonna to learn this. Repeat after me. How we live... Wait, that sounded... In like in tongues. 
How we live matters. Okay, I think that's the next Oasis t-shirt. How we live, it matters. It matters. And so wisdom influences the way that we live. Wisdom influences the way that we think. Wisdom influences our speech. So we know what to say or what not to say in certain situations. Wisdom influences our actions. So we know how to react, respond, how to live out in the world where people are always watching the Christian. The teacher tells us, take a hold of this thing called wisdom. Then he gives some practical advice. He says this in verse 21. So do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. Now, I, must, I will tell you that I will never hear my servant cursing me. I don't have a servant. But this is good wisdom to, to, to think about. We should all get a handle on this and understand this. If you're just listening to what everyone says about you, you're just asking to be beat up in life. You're saying, yeah, punch me. I'll take that shot again and again and again. And you too may not have servants that can talk bad about you, but sooner or later, you are going to hear someone, somewhere, somehow, say something that's not very nice about you. Maybe even something that's not true. And you are going to be Put in the spot where you have to respond. Now some, you may get angry. You've been wronged. And besides, that person's just stupid anyway. But in reality, could you come to the place of just letting it go? You were probably never intended to hear it in the first place. Maybe you can give the person the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were frustrated in that moment. Maybe there was a moment of weakness. Maybe a moment of anger. Now, I know nobody here gets weak or frustrated or angry, but those people out there, maybe they were feeling that way. And they had this just, they let their guard down. See, if we live in this thing that the teacher calls wisdom, we we won't take too much interest in what, everyone else is talking about. Now, believe me, you should take some interest in what some of those people that are close to you are willing to speak into your life, those people that have earned your trust and have earned um, your love. And, and And you know that if they're speaking something difficult to you, that they're doing it in love because you have relationship with them. But as far as all of the other noise... We need to be able to discern. We need to be able to discern what to ignore and what to hear, especially when it comes to criticism. One of the ways that wisdom can make us stronger is we just don't listen to everything everyone is going to say about us. And wisdom helps us respond in a way that's full of grace and patience and and gentleness even when what has been said about us is not true. Now, he, he kind of is going to bring this all into perspective for us. 
in the next verse. He says, do not pay attention to what every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others, which, come on now, is true. To our chagrin, we have probably said things about people out of anger, out of frustration, out of weariness, behind their back, something that we might not have said to them, to their face. We have spoken out of frustration or our own stupidity. I've learned that I find sometimes when I criticize others, it's really not so much what's about them than what's inside of me. And that's a painful prick in the heart. But whatever the reason, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty speaking out of turn. Verse 20, the teacher says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. We all fail to meet the perfection of God. We all fail to meet God's standards, every single one of us. And so in those instances, I wonder how how we can stand in almost this arrogant um, judgment of others when we ourselves fall into that same trap. Don't always listen to what people have to say. Or you might hear someone cursing you. See, if we begin to live into wisdom, we're able to recognize our own sinfulness. And we're able to offer grace to those around us who may purposely or unpurposely want to hurt us. If we walk in wisdom, we can offer grace towards people who criticize us wrongly. You don't have to be right. So what if that's what they said? Sticks and stones, they break the bones, but names. And I've had a few of them over the years. Sometimes I've let them hurt me. But they don't hurt. So the question begins for our own internal dialogue is this. How do you respond to criticism? How do you respond when people say things about you that are hurtful or untrue? Are you angered? Do you lash out? Do you react? Or do you just allow it to fade away? I wonder if we're able to live into the words of Paul when he wrote, he wrote this in Titus. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. And he continues, he continues on to say, you know, there was a time when we used to act in those foolish ways. There was a time when we too were, were disobedient and we were deceived and we were enslaved to different passions and we lived in malice and envy and we hated people and people hated us. And then he goes on to say, but God showed us mercy and he saved us through his son. And we have been given, we have been given wisdom and we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We, Christian, can live 
differently. Now, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, he has spent his life seeking wisdom, desiring to understand life. And through his long journey, he has learned many, many things. And he's written a lot of them in this book. Last week, I'm still, I'm still reeling from last week's who can make straight what he, what God has made crooked. And yet, in all of his searching, he still finds it difficult to grasp a hold of. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? Everything he has learned, he has tried to test by this thing called wisdom. He is testing wisdom with wisdom in his effort to gain wisdom. He's determined to grab a hold of this thing and understand life as a wise person. Not a wise guy, a wise man, a wise person. And in the end, he comes to this conclusion, I can't figure it out. It's just too deep. It's too far. I can't get my mind around. I can't get my hands on it. Wisdom was just too far off for him to fully engage. And at this point in the book, it feels very much like all of this has been for nothing. Like it's just going to be one big failure. It's too far out of his grasp. He can't kind of get there. He can't understand it. There's more questions than answers. And so I wonder if you ever felt that way. Like when you're, when, when you're, when you're, when it's quiet and you're by yourself and, and, and you're talking with God and, and you know that you've been digging and digging and searching and, and knocking and asking and you still haven't found it, whatever it is for you. It's still not there. And it's been a long time since you've been knocking and seeking and searching and asking. And it's still not there. You're not quite sure. I guess there's two things you can do. One is you can give up, give in, throw in the towel. Or you could come to a place of admitting that you don't have all the answers and that you never will. You will never have all the answers to all of your questions if you ask questions about life. To come to the place of admitting we don't have all the answers and wait for God's grace. To trust in God's grace by faith, trusting that God does. And he will give you wisdom in proportion to what he feels or believes for your life when he wants to give it. That's a journey of humility. That's it. That's a journey of faith. Calvin called it a learned ignorance. Now, I'm not talking about giving up. I'm not talking about throwing in the towel. We should always be trying and pressing and searching and knocking and seeking. But we should always remember that there are things that we aren't going to know on this side of eternity. And I, and I, and I think that when we get to the other side of eternity, a lot of the questions that we had here, they're just not going to matter. Knowing the limits of wisdom is part of wisdom. Wisdom. Knowing the limits to wisdom is a wise wisdom. 
And the teacher, he's searching, he's looking. Now he can't find it. He's, he's feeling defeated. But now he says, so I turn my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. So he has this sense of he can't quite get there, but he's not giving up. He's not throwing in the towel. He's going to keep searching, keep pressing. He wants to know what it means to live wisely and to try to avoid the foolishness, the stupidity of wickedness. And what does he find? Well, he's going to find what I call the ug of life. You know, that thing is just, you say, ugh. What he's going to get to is the darkness of the human heart. Because the trouble of life, the troubles in life, always come back to sin. The brokenness that we see in the world always comes back to the human heart and the nature of sin that's within us. And the teacher is kind of disappointed in what he sees and how he sees people around him living. So so I turn my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom in the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. It's a very interesting verse. Verse 26. We have to unpack this wisely. And we have to unpack the verses that come after it wisely. But he is comparing a certain kind of woman to something that would trap birds, animals, a trap. And the question I I was kind of churning is, well, is this a generalization of, of people that he's thinking about? I mean, a biblical example would be Delilah. Samson and Delilah, Samson got all caught up in that whole drama thing and it ended up being his ruin. Or is it a metaphor for foolishness? You know, stay away from foolishness. And and it's been used before in the scripture. Or did Solomon meet up with a certain woman who almost destroyed him? I mean, he did have, what, a thousand in his harem? But what he seems to be getting at in verse 26 is the attraction to sexual sin. And he said, turn, you got to turn away from it, no matter how it's communicated, no matter how it's presented. In his day, it was presented in a very specific way. In our day, it's, it's TV, it's uh, movies, it's uh, computer. I mean, we have all of these f- even physical temptations Of sexual sin. And he says you would do well to avoid it. In fact. The result could be even more bitter than death. And and the the scripture talks about sin in that way. It's it's this internal thing. And, And though sin is sin is sin. There's something about that particular sin. That just begins to eat away at the heart and the soul of a person. And intimacy is, is ruins, and, and your self-image is ruins. And sexuality itself becomes perverted. 
And the teacher wants us to know that there is a way out. There is an escape. And that's to live a life that is pleasing to God. That you would focus on him. That you would not let those distractions sneak in, catch you off guard, and pull you away from him. Focus on him. Lead a life that's pleasing to him. And to lead a life that's pleasing to God is to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with everything that's in you. That you would know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been given authority and power to resist temptation and to resist sin. Now, I know that we're not perfect And I know that we do occasionally stumble and fall, and I get it. But then you should know about the gospel. And the gospel says that you take that sin, and you go to the cross, and you lay it there on the foot of the cross, and you ask God, I repent, I I repent, I don't want this, forgive me. And you know what happens? He is faithful. And he forgives 100%. Forgiven made new, separated as the east is from the west. To please God is to grow in your knowledge of who he is. Church, you need to be in the word every single day. Every day. Every day is a pretty all-inclusive term that I use for every day. That's Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday, followed by Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Don't think that you're in the Word today and this is good enough for today. It's not. This is our protection. This is our strength. This is God's grace to us. Pray for holiness. Be part of community. Seek, belong, serve. Those aren't just really cool words with arrows that we have as a church. We believe that these are the, the, the life of a disciple, that we're seeking God, we're belonging to community, and we're serving the world around us. And those things are our protection, our strength against sin, against temptation. See, the escape is real. But so is holiness. Holiness is a real thing that God desires for us and for our lives You know, but the teacher, he's just looking around him and he's like, ugh, I'm missing something. He says, look, this is what I've discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the the scheme of things. While I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. Now, he is looking for someone righteous, someone wise, someone kind of walking the walk and just not talking a talk. And he said he found one dude in a thousand. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's Nathan the prophet. I, I'm not sure. But then he says, I haven't found one in a thousand women. And again, we have to be careful on how we understand this text. We need to understand it in the complete context of not only the book, but also of the Bible. The Bible speaks much more about the sinfulness of men, of man. But here's what I learned. Sin is an op- uh, equal opportunity offender. It, doesn't, it goes beyond 
It's, it's, it's gender inclusive. It doesn't care if you're a man or a woman. Sin is looking for you, and it's looking to destroy you. And remember in verse 20, the teacher said, you know, there's, there's not a person on earth who is righteous. This is humanity. This is our lot. This is the brokenness that sin has entered the world and just kind of ripped apart the fabric of everything. And I would guarantee that even that one good guy he found is a sinner. And so he's speaking of humanity. Now, maybe it wasn't himself. Or, you know, like I said, you know, Solomon knew Nathan the prophet. And, but Solomon himself was a, was a bit of a weenie. Because he, he had a thousand women, wives and concubines. A thousand who didn't believe in the one true God. And these women would soon entice him away to worship false gods, and it would be to his ruin. Now, within the pages of the scripture, we see godly women uh, praised. The, the bride, the beautiful bride of Psalm 45, the, the woman of Proverbs 31. There's a, a woman in Luke chapter 8 who supports the ministry of Jesus. When I pray for strength, when I pray for courage, God reminds me that he's given me a certain redhead wife named Sandy. And so we can praise women for how they love in their hearts. But it would seem that Solomon didn't know in his harem, at least, any women like that, any godly women who would love in that way. I guess that's what you get for trying to love a thousand women. But here's the reality of the situation. The most righteous man on earth, or the most righteous woman on earth, is still a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Period. The most righteous person that you can think of is still a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, saved by the blood of Christ, saved by the cross. And at the end of this chapter, he writes this. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. It's kind of the the uh, theological, the biblical doctrine of original righteousness or like God didn't make this mess. God created good. We kind of messed things up because we're always looking for the next scheme. Hey God, you know what? I got this. I don't need you interfering with my plan. It's kind of what Adam and Eve thought. They said, you know, God, I think you're holding back. I think the fruit that you said to not eat looks really good. And I think we want some. And so, enough of with you, we're going on our own. And we gave in to the scheme. God is not the creator of this brokenness, but he will be the one who will redeem it. The sin of Adam has ruined us all. Has ripped apart this world. The sin of Adam has become our nature. Romans chapter 3, there is not one that's righteous. It's probably not the answer that the teacher was looking for. I'm sure he wanted some, some mountaintops and, and unicorns and rainbows. 
But it's important for us to understand. We have to understand the human condition. We have to live in this world with a godly wisdom to understand what's going on, what's taking place, and how we move forward in it. To allow wisdom to attach itself to our speech, to our thoughts, to our actions, to our lives, to our families, to our church, to our communities, to our neighborhoods, to the places that we work. Well, this whole sin thing is just about as far as chapter 7 could take us. But see, we don't have to stop there because we have Jesus. We have a new covenant. And because of Christ, we have salvation. See, the Bible begins with creation. A couple chapters in, it's the fall. And then the new covenant, Christ. Wholeness, salvation, freedom, grace. Grace has a name, and the name is Jesus Christ. And that is the wisest wisdom of all, to put your faith in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. See, we've all been broken through sin. Do you have the wisdom, the godly wisdom to see it? We all have an escape. Have you prayed to God that he would give you wisdom and show it to you? See, we can't fix what's broken, but God can, and he is, and he will continue to do so through his son, Jesus Christ. He's going to put this mess back together again. And by faith, we believe that by faith, in the midst of all that's happening around the world, we believe by faith. That he will come again in glory. And so to allow that godly wisdom to be instilled in our lives, pray for it, the scripture says, ask for it. But then live into it. Live into what God has given you. There may be those of you this morning that you need wisdom for something What are your next steps? How do you get out of this? Where do you go from here? Maybe you need wisdom to wrestle with the sin that's in your life that you're just tired of it just reoccurring over and over again and you want to be free. There's going to be some people up here at the cross that that want to pray for you, want to pray with you. If you're in need of the wisdom of the Lord, allow a brother and a sister to pray over you to pray with you. If there's something that you're battling, some you're battling that sin nature and you just don't know how to get out of it, allow the brothers and the sisters to pray over you. Turn it over to God. Ask for that wisdom. He will be willing to give it to you. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that you've caused this word to be written and that you have preserved it. And now I pray that it would just pour into your church by the power of your spirit, the wisdom of your heart and your mind and your strength. 
May we walk in it each and every day. May we desire it more than gold and silver, money and possessions. Thank you that you're willing to give. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.